Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Briggs' name is Brig. And uh, the last time that you joined us was on episode 11 when we talked about Donda. This is, yeah. I think, episode 32 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been going weekly. It's uh, exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. And uh, we're here to talk about the album's our favorite albums of 2021. We did the Pulpy Movie Awards last week. We're doing the Pulpy Music Awards this week. So, uh, yeah, we were already getting into it a little bit. You were talking about how in preparing for this, you found that you uh, had listened to a limited amount of, of new music uh, this year. Yeah, you know you know that it was a meme that was going on around. It was someone texted someone was like, can I make you a playlist? And the person responded was like, no. I already know all the music I like. I feel like I really resonate. <laughs> I'm really bad at, at changing it up, bringing flavor, but okay. I try. I try, but yeah, I uh, you know famously I listen to everything, <laughs> um, and um, I just a couple of days ago posted my top fifty albums of 2021 up on my Substack, which is also where this podcast is hosted from. And yeah, I figure we're just going to reflect on, we're going to reflect on our list. We're going to reflect on some of the albums that have also come out this year. And then I'm going to go through the other categories in my little award thing. Beautiful. Yes. Really beautiful. So uh, we'll begin with me going through, I guess uh, I'll go in depth with the top 10 and I'll just sort of breeze through the uh, 10, 15 before that. So my top 25 is uh, An Evening with Silk Sonic by Silk Sonic, Vanish by Cookie Kawaii, Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, Donda by Ye, Pray for Haiti by Makami, Spe- uh, The Turning Wheel by Spelling, Pressure Machine by The Killers, Hitler Wears Hermes 8 Side B by West Side Gun, Mercurial World by Magdalena Bay, Haram by Armin Hammer, uh, Lately I Feel Everything by Willow, Flux by Poppy, Jubilee by Japanese Breakfast, Juno by Remy Wolf. And Texas by Sleigh Bells, that brings us into the top 10, which we will sort of go more in depth with. My number 10 album of the year, as of the writing of this list, I think some things might have already changed (laughs) since I wrote this list a few days ago, but it was The Melodic Blue by Baby Keem. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a good, yeah, I can get get behind that. I, I was a little, I, I don't, I don't want to pretend I was like the first person on the baby Keem chain. Cause I was definitely already into 2020 when I was getting into him, but um, you know, he's been bubbling under for a couple years, put out a lot of great singles, uh, you know, some really solid mixtapes, but there's just this, just sort of this under the surface thing. Like when's he really going to, you know, pop up. And this year he came through with the melodic blue. The, the, the return of Kendrick is, uh, has become something of a headline for this album, but yeah. It's I don't know. I like the character like like Baby Keem sort of placed as a rapper. And I talk about this in my list is that he's like a weird little guy. And he's always, you know, just, you know, the, in, in family ties when he's like, I netted 10 million, did a little dance. It's like, he's sort of, you know, doing all this like there's so many different sounds throughout this album. And like, I feel like his energy really carries throughout. But there are 
there's the song that samples love lockdown and there's like r&b angled stuff and this you know family ties obviously those big horns that big you know very modern instrumentation that's been all over the place this year i don't know there's so much personality baked into it though where there's the uh the song south africa which is such a like stripped back and kind of basic sounding song but it's just like it's just pure personality coming on yeah yeah my number nine is montero by lil nas x yeah uh, the the fact that this is a debut is crazy, but it's a really I mean, I've I've talked a lot about how I think COVID is one of these actual cultural reset moments like 9-11 where like everything that was popular right at that moment has to like work over time to stay relevant afterwards. Yeah. And so I think there were a lot of examples of artists this year who kind of underperformed and kind of failed to be like part of the, you know, big narrative. Uh, we saw releases from like Lizzo and Ariana Grande that underperformed, you know, there's been they, a lot of people have been sort of uh, struggling to find a place in this, in the music world today. And I think what Lil Nas X does so perfectly with Montero is take that, uh, take the things that were already, that he already had, where his, his songs up to this point have mostly been novelty songs. They've mostly, some of them are meaningful, but the, you know, the writing has not been the strong suit of previous singles. It's more just like his voice is really powerful. He has an ear for hooks that's incredible. And he can like sort of do these lightning in a bottle things. Like, I mean, that's really what Old Town Road was. It's, it's something that shouldn't have worked, but <laughs> but worked but so well. Somehow. Yeah. And he takes that with Montero and also makes like this incredibly personal you know, really well-written album. Just, just, just you know, I, I think, I, I hate to look at the coming out from a marketing angle, but I think that it really works that that this is sort of, you, you know, after he came out, he put out like a couple straight singles, but this is really like, the, this is sort of the the explosion of, of, of Lil Nas X where he has unlimited budget and he has sort of carte blanche to really show his personality and, um, but it's also like it has a unique sound to it. It kind of doesn't sound like anything else, even though it's like there's songs like Dollar Sign Slime that are, um, you know, in, in the vein of certain sounds that already exist. There's, you know, you can do like a what's that song? Uh, Life After Salem, like, a you know, just, yeah. just he, he can take all these detours. But like with the with the way his voice is so unique and the like this, you know, Amir Fatty guitar that's all over the album, there's like like it all gels into a cohesive sound that is so unique and that's really what puts it over the top i think no it's very cool it's very cool to see his career uh as a gay rapper compared to people like tyler and frank like seeing that the his music is truly developing with him coming out as gay where you have this turn especially with tyler Mm -hmm. um and like like lil nas x is like doing lil nas x and like being gay instead of like and i find it very cool and I like that he I like that he didn't drop an album until he had come out. I think that's a very like strong sort of statement on his sexuality. He did have the EP, obviously. But. Yeah. My number eight is Unbelievable Animals by Macy Rodman. Uh, an artist I ha- I was not familiar with until this year, but she is, is a big figure in the like New York club scene has been for a couple years. And this is I don't know if it's her first album, but it's um, I-, I don't know. As a statement, I just think that like a lot of people have been doing like 90s stuff this year. And this is, you know, a very particular kind of play on the 90s sound where it, it-, it- I don't know, I think of like primal scream and emf and some of these like early british rave acts and like like, like i feel like there's 
you know, the 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 rave sound is very sort of <laughs> sort of underlying on this album, but it's not, you know. The, the huge things that people do in rave music nowadays it's very um fun and sort of hip-hop infused and like uh you know there's just a great sense of humor to it i feel like they're you know these songs that have a, a great deal of personality to them rock and roll gay guy was the, the the single that everyone was talking about but there's also the aronofsky method is kind of playing with like it reminds me of selfie by the chain smokers a little bit it's sort of in that vein but then also being about Darren Aronofsky is, is yeah. you know, such a fun take on that. So yeah, Punk Rock Boyfriend with Shamir is a, another really good song on there. It's just, you know, a great sense of humor. And I, I love this 90s dance music thing it's doing. And I think it, she does it really well. My number seven is Sometimes I Might Be Introvert by Little Sims. Little Sims is another one that's definitely been on the radar for a couple of years, but it, it, it feels like she made a, a real calculation in this moment that like, this is the time to just to just go balls to the wall after, you know, building this success, build, you know, getting some of these awards and recognition outside of the UK. Her, her 2019 album obviously put her in into a great place. And then the year that she's in Venom 2, the year that she <laughs> the, the, that she's like kind of building outward into in, into pop culture. This is the moment to do an album with like full orchestral arrangements and just and just everything's as massive as possible and just putting herself out there. It's called Sometimes I Might Be Introvert, which is a, a backronym for her name, which is Simbi. And I think that the fact that it is so personal and so sort of, I mean, this is stuff that's always been present in Little Sims music that she's uh, has th- this great like contemplation that she does that, you know, songs like Woman that are uh, just sort of, I don't know, they're sort of reflections on life that feel personal and very profound in that she sort of has this um, th- th- this wisdom in her <laughs> in her delivery, you know, even though she's like 27. Yeah, it's, it's just a really big statement from an artist who really has the talent to, to back that up. My number six is Harlcore by Danny L. Harl, one of the founders of PC Music who left the label within the past couple of years, I think. This is his first full-length album, which is crazy because he is such an influential figure in the hyper-pop scene, which is obviously such a big thing right now. Um, but Harl Kaur is the the concept is that he's like, they're like four different sides of himself and they're sort of these projects that he's doing with other um, producers. It's interesting, you know, in making EDM and making, uh, well, different kinds of like, but under the EDM umbrella and being able to so clearly have these four different personalities and imbue these these songs with those different personalities. And there are, you know, things that do that, like the high-pitched vocal on the MC Boing tracks. But um, there, there, there's just something really like, I don't know, my favorite kind of kind of like EDM music like this is stuff that just feels really like massive and and cosmic. And I feel like he really drives that in with the, the production that he does on these tracks. Um, car Song is a really fun song about uh, playing music in a car that, that, that just, again, just feels huge, even though it's, it's, it's kind of silly. Um, On a Mountain is insane. Yeah, just the most exciting electronic album of the year, in my opinion. My number five is Shut the Fuck Up Talking to Me by Zach Fox. Yeah. Zach Fox album is something that I was already so on board for up to this point that like, it, 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 it's hard, like, knowing the Zach Fox thing, you know, that he's done, like, five or six of these singles in the last couple of years where he's just throwing out the most insane bars over, like, 
these these sort of 80s like the, the, these kind of detroit samples um he could have just done that for the rest of his career and i would have been so happy with it but like he does i think go above and beyond on this record by kind of playing out a bit of a vision and playing with some different types of songs playing with again those like big horn sounds that i was talking about with the baby keem album uh, go over i mean the real centerpiece of this is the title track at the end which is over an alchemist beat a really like a, a really great beat and he just you know goes crazy over it and there's so many like you know off the wall lyrics are still there i'm trying to i got bitches across the universe i'm pimping like i'm steven she gonna hit me with them kegels almost made me have a seizure <laughs> he's he's so funny and i think you know comedian transitioning into rapper is something that has been done in certain forms in the past but like there are a lot of funny rappers too. There are a lot of rappers with a great sense of humor, but I feel like Zach Fox is is so able to imbue his sense of humor, which is so great, into his lyrics, which are also so great that like, yeah, it, it's, it's great. I love it. My number four is Pink Noise by Laura Mvula. Now, I talked about how everyone was doing a 90s thing this year, but really everyone was doing an 80s thing this year because The weekend put out uh, 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 After Hours last year, and it was like the biggest thing ever, and, and Dua Lipa with Future Nostalgia also. But yeah, now um, the 80s power pop sounds are everywhere. Justin Bieber's doing it, and Post Malone is doing it, and it's just like, like, like that's the sound that everyone is putting putting out there at this point and i think like really under the radar what laura and vola did is take those 80s synths those 80s sounds and sort of construct a new language out of that alphabet you know pink noise it like it does very much feel like an 80s album but like i don't know there's something like the way that she utilizes these these synths is so unique and unexpected and like you know there's like there's like a surprise in every song and there are songs that you know take on these different tones. There are songs with sort of a, a sleigh bellsy, like kind of kind of wanton sense of like, you don't know what's going to come next to them. And there are songs that, that that have this real like Whitney Houston sort of like power ballad thing going on, but they're all sort of on, on this foundation of 80s synths that like, yeah, it blew me away. <laughs> Just a, a really great album, that one. My number three is Smiling With No Teeth by Genesis Owusu. Uh, certainly my favorite debut of the year from uh, this Australian rapper. There are parts of it that are definitely a rap album, but it's um, I the, the debut I would most compare it to is Gorilla's debut, just in that, like, I mean, first of all, he's definitely in a similar sort of genre camp to Gorilla's, but, like, it feels like it could be a new movement of a debut. And it's not just, like, like, like him as an artist. It's, like, what he's doing with rap and rock and uh, R&B and pop and just, you know, this fusion of genres that he's playing with. It feels like the beginning of something in a really exciting way. You know, this this album was sort of baked out of uh, live sessions with the, the band that he brought together for this, the Black Dog Band, but like it also feels incredibly cohesive. It's built around this sort of metaphor, uh, this image of the Black Dog, which can be, uh, has been a metaphor for depression, has also been a racial slur, obviously. A really powerful album and a really fun album also. Um, yeah, did a lot of great things. 
My number two is If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power by Halsey. You know, having been so persistently keeping up with music for as long as I have, it's like relatively rare for something to really, for an announcement of a project to really take me by surprise, an announcement of a collaboration. And like, what, like, one thing that really took me away is I, you know, I was on Twitter and I just saw someone posted that like a billboard had gone up for Halsey's album and it said, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power, produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And I was like, What the fuck is going on? So like, you know, this is a very Nine Inch Nailsy album. And if the announcement had been Halsey is joining Nine Inch Nails, I think we'd like, like we could have expected a similar result. But like, it's also very fundamentally a Halsey album. And it very much takes like, I think the vision that she had on Badlands and on Hopeless Fountain Kingdom and just sort of like, you know, I think with this Nine Inch Nails backing, she can really just, it could just be like all vision and there's, there's, there's no fat. There's no songs that are clearly just singles. There's, you know, it, it, it's pure Halsey. And she's got this really cool sort of idea running through this, this album as like pregnancy as like horror and Nine Inch Nails having that, that sort of horror core underlying thing that they've worked with before. I think that really comes together. Also just um, as an examination of like femininity and uh, attitudes towards women, you know, from someone who obviously has a, a, a an interesting relationship with womanhood. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I think it, uh, it it's a it's a really striking vision for for Halsey. It felt like if Argonauts was an album, like I feel mm. like Maggie Nelson. I feel like Maggie Nelson ate the album up, and like, like what else could you ask for from an album? A- absolutely. Exactly. And uh, my number one album of the year was A Touch of the Beat Gets You Up on Your Feet, Gets You Out, and Then Into the Sun by Allie and AJ. There we go. Yeah, I mean, give, give it up for him. Give him a hand. I, like had been really into the like synth pop stuff that Ali and AJ were doing in like 2017 to 2020 after their, you know, sort of comeback, they're kind of, kind of bubbling under building up momentum, I think to prepare for like actually putting out an album, but this album, I, I can talk all day about why I like an album, but at the end of the day, this is just the album that resonated with me the most this year. But I do think it does this really interesting thing in combining like, Lilith Fair sounds with like Fleetwood Mac era, you know, soft rock sounds and disco. And it just like has this really, you know, in in doing this kind of beachy California sound, it could have been very plain. And I think they do because they're such talented, uh, like pop songwriters and composers. I think they do really make something distinctive with it part of that is their voices which are incredible part of it is again their pen which you know this is their first album since 2007 (laughs) and like back then back then you can hear a lot of the like they're so they had a lot of interesting ideas back then but i you know everything is so thought out and mature on this record it's um you know it's very much a pop album but it's a, a really again thoughtful and expansive pop album yeah all i was thinking while i was listening to that album He's like, like, what would it have been like if Taylor Swift dropped the first album, took a hiatus, and then dropped the most recent one? And I was like, this is yeah. like, <laughs> like, like, imagine like having your 2007 music career, and then like you're just like not really doing anything, and then you drop. A, it's it was it was it was like what like I t- we put took a pin out of 2007, and then we did this. It was very cool to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's a really good uh, comparison to think about the first Taylor Swift album. And then like, 
yeah, if she had just not done anything until like you like, watch you watch her grow through every album. This one, it's like you you have this image, Ali and AJ, and then you're like, oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> Very Joe Bros esque, but like it went well. Like I don't yeah. like the like, you know, and it, like it, like you really did something. The Jonas Brothers, like maybe who knows, but something. Yeah. Um. Did you see Big Time Rush is back? I did. Yeah, they uh, they've got their uh, their first new single out. I like it N- not as much as I liked the first Jonas Brothers single, but I also I know didn't. I was like, this is gonna be this is gonna be. I would like to do. I would like the Jonas Brothers to do what Taylor Swift is doing right now. Like I'd like mm. them to just re-record it. Like a if I could get a mature voices version of Year Three Thousand and Love Bug, I'd be really I would be really happy. I would be a really happy camper. Yeah, like, they did. They did. They had like one big song this year that was "Leave Before You Love Me" with uh, Marshmallow. I did like that song a lot, and uh, I've liked some of the stuff they put out. But I just think I don't know because I was really into Nick Jonas's stuff, and I was really into DNCE, and so yeah. Part of me is just looking at this and like, I miss DMC. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, so that is my 10. And just to get my, the album of the year category of the awards out, because it's going to be pretty similar. My five nominees are Ellie and AJ, Halsey, Lil Nas X, Genesis, Wusu, and Little Sims. And I am going to give it to Ellie and AJ. Yeah, there it is. I dig it. I have, okay, I have honorable mentions um, to the new Casey Musgraves album, which is, which is called Starcross. Um, I, I love Casey. I didn't think it was anything. It wasn't anything unexpected. I saw she was dropping a new album. Starcross was like, I was like, yeah, this is what I thought the album would be, which is why I like, wouldn't put it top 10, but it's a good album. It was interesting. That was another album that was sort of a commercial and critical disappointment that happened this year. Um, I I don't know. I liked it. It, it also came very close to my 50, uh, my album listed. Uh, right. It's like on the outskirts. Yeah, I, I I think it's really, I don't know, it, it like, obviously, Casey's a very, like, evocative singer and songwriter, and there's a lot, um, you know, it's a very, like, well-written and well-sung album, but, like, I, you know, genre-wise, it's leaning into pop, which is very much the direction she's been trending in, and probably, you know, something that could have been predicted from the outskirts, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I go back and forth on it, it's possible that over time it'll move up my, my ranking, because I do like it a lot. But um, yeah. I also, you know, so there was so much divorce in entertainment this year. And this, you know, I feel like that was this and the Adele album were the two big like divorce albums. You know, obviously Donda came out amid a divorce, but I feel like the divorce album is whatever comes next. <laughs> With this easy shit. Yeah. God <laughs> saved me from this crash just so I could be that. <laughs> That's the divorce album. That those two lyric, those two lines or whatever. That's the divorce album. He's yeah. I we we can talk about it further. I do feel like this recent era of Yay has been the first time since like the end of the life of Pablo era that we're that I feel like this is like a full scale rebrand, like a brand new direction. Yeah, I'm dying to know, and I, I know it's a rebrand. I have no idea where it's going. Yeah. I have no, uh, the most I can say is that he's in his reputation era. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I do think there are uh, staged elements of the divorce. Part of me does think that they're like both in on it and sort of coordinating things. But um, the fact that they immediately hooked up with the two like coolest young celebrities they could find uh, (laughs) is a part of that. No way. 
there's no way it's completely real. It's like their relationship. Like, I was not sold on it until I was sold on it. Yeah, and by the time, like, even in analyzing Donda, I came to the impression that they had actually been divorced for a while before they announced it. Oh my god, yeah. I think both sides are, are, and and maybe they're not coordinating, but I think they are both sort of, the divorce is a, a media narrative for them. But I think the divorce era is coming, the vibes are different the he's he's performing the old songs again he's you know i also had this isn't even an, this is not an album but the orville peck cover of born this way oh yeah one of like one of my favorite musical one of my favorite things to come out of the music of of, of 2022 or 2021 i guess um i love it that's like that for like for me that's who should be singing that song I, I, I agree that that's great. On the, on the Silk Sonic front, um, I'm trying to think if I have anything to say about that. I guess that was another example of like a thing that genuinely took me aback when it was announced, you know, as, as things really do. I just think it's such a great pairing. And I feel like, I feel yeah. like certain people were disappointed in that album because it's short and sweet, but that is sort of the, the Bruno Mars ethos, you know, 24 karat magic is just like a, nine perfect songs and there's your album <laughs> and i think that i think that evening with silk sonic is the same way my thing silk sonic is like what did anderson pack need to stay relevant and what did bruno mars need to stay relevant and it was like each other like it was like yeah. that it's like both of them have always been almost there for me and then they come in, like coming together like doing that together it was like this is what both of them needed to like keep a career going. sure and another thing where i love seeing the music i loved in middle school like my middle school music being that evolved i loved bruno mars when i was in like sixth seventh grade right and seeing that development like him going i you know him going from there the first album to now is incredibly cool to me not what Absolutely. i expected at all but like very cool my first step my first slow dance was to uh when i was your man was my my first slow dance wow, um, wow. And at the six at the sixth grade dance and how to love by lil wayne and they went they oh, went in for sure which is just like perfect, I think. The the thing I get from Bruno Mars, I feel like I I love his music and I love his his recent stuff especially, but I feel like part of it is the same thing you get with like a Nintendo game where there's just a, totally. a stamp of quality that comes with it and everything is going yeah. to be like the most high level, you know, production. Everything sounds perfect. Like that's part of the appeal. It's like it's on perfect songs. It's great. Yeah. Um Silky. I also wanted to say that I yeah. think I think Leave the Door Open would have been a good big time rush song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How weird. But yeah. <laughs> yep. Something to ruminate on. Um at 10 I have 2.5 by Amine. I just I love listening to everything he does. And I think each each album gives gives us something new. Because you know he dropped something new at the very beginning of quarantine and like March, April. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like vastly different from the album before. And then this one vastly different from that album. I think he he gives you a little something new every time. And it's always fun. And he always hides. He hides a little bit of a little bit of something, a little bit of intimacy, a little bit of personality in the midst of like some really fucking like good music that you just like want to have on the car. And I think like that's a beautiful, wonderful talent. I wish I wanted I wanted to I wanted to get a little bit more credit than what he's getting. I feel like he's he's only had a couple of songs that have been like 
people have been really into it. I want I want them to get more of that. Yeah, this album was uh, 37 on my list. I feel like the the, the thing, com- I, I was interested just like comparing this to 1.5 and totally. how in that era he was sort of, you know, because the because because the albums are, y- you know, they're they're sort of pop forward and they're thinking about singles and they're, you know, this um, they're showcases of personality that are uh, that, that, that have some calculations behind them. And then on the on the mixtapes, he's like uh, sort of playing around a little more, getting more experimental. And on one point five, he was playing around with like these really abrasive in- injury reserve sounds. Yeah. yeah, really effectively, I think. And then in this one, he's playing with hyper pop and you know these uh d and b sounds and pitch vocals and um i think it really works for him it really makes him feel sort of cutting edge in a way that uh he hasn't been in a while but um that's you know something really unique in in like the the way he's able to integrate that into his own kind of like melodic and personal and sort of playful style like it you know comes together really nicely doing he's doing what brockhampton was trying to do um and and things to do (laughs) with every album yeah. <laughs> and he's doing it much more successfully so then coming in at nine um i have man on the moon three which it's 20 it's 2020 but again the years got blurry i don't think this album this album didn't get a lot of hype um i really liked it i think the phoebe Bridgers collab was brave oh, sure. and very cool maybe not brave because i think it kind of it was definitely pandering so not brave in the media sense but in the genre sense i think that was really cool. I've been rooting for a Kyle Taylor collab kind of as a joke. And I think this is the closest I will ever get, you know? And I, I think it was a cool choice. Yeah. It's reminiscent of, of collaborating with Haim in 2013. I think that, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that album did make my 2020 list. wasn't super high, but I think it was on there. But yeah, I do think the, 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 the that Phoebe Bridgers collab is a great song. And I think that, um, his choices in terms of like what who, in, in terms of collaborations i think that's something that he's always been really good at and he's really good at like making a collaboration really a part of the song and sort of you know yes. fusing them together rather than just um you know having someone drop a verse same could be said for again the heim collaboration mm-hmm. and um kidsy ghosts or like the song you did with eminem like you know whoever it is he'll you know fuse those styles together yeah and i i, th- I also think it's a it's a beautiful um conclusion to this like this trilogy uh mm-hmm. and i like i love the true i love the tradition of storytelling and rap albums i think that he is doing something really brilliant with it and it, it, it was tender in a very understated way so i was i was a huge fan of it i feel like cuddy is someone who sort of between albums not really between albums but he's just you know i feel like he's had this reappraisal in the last couple of years where so many uh new artists have cited him as an inspiration and i feel like his his place in the public consciousness has you know shifted to being the 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 this forefather of of yeah. emo rap and of uh you know this the, the this person who resonates with people in the same way that kind of in the same way that mitski has had this uh yeah. has developed this reputation between albums but i think that um him releasing this was the right album for him to release uh in that moment in the yeah in the moment of realizing he's um come to the place of being a forefather yeah it's a it's a it's an it's an adult album um i've at eight i have um driver's album girlfriend oh, um i love i love driver sure. i had no idea Jamie told me about them because she was an R5 stand in middle school. And I was like, there's no way R5 is making good music. 
there's just no way and then i was like damn i was i was wrong girlfriend's a fun album i think it would have been higher if it wasn't so shallow but it's a like it is a fun album like it's april you're driving in the car you're playing girlfriend it's it it's a great time and it's so random it's so random that they are doing this now sure i love driver era and um i wasn't really familiar with r5 i knew ross lynch from austin and alley and yeah, that was cool. like on the tail end of my knowledge of of that sort of sphere of culture but in 2017 i i found out about driver era the same year that he played jeffrey dahmer and my friend dahmer and so just like those two things at once i was like man i gotta pay attention to ross lynch uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think driver is sort of in the same vein as like dnce totally or i i think five seconds of summer's recent stuff which yeah. i liked a lot uh yeah just you know really fun and well made <laughs> you know and they're talented uh, like they're really like they are very talented musicians which is exciting it, like you disney bands having genuine sh- talent is exciting to me because it's like sure. you, you had this you had this as a kid and then you did the disney thing and now you're doing it like like ross lynch's cover of sex on fire for example is yeah god, like goddamn brilliant um yeah and that very cool to me um, it's a narrative we love i think it is a narrative that i just looking at olivia rodeo i think it's a narrative that disney is aware that people like <laughs> but like yes. oh, yeah. what can i say it's great at seven we have Planet Her, Doja. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wasn't a huge Doja fan. Um, and I wanted to be. I wasn't like, I wasn't anti, I just didn't really. Um, and then I'm a total convert. Uh, I think it's an exciting, it's an exciting listen. Um, and you have the capacity to listen to it in a fun way, and you have a capacity to like like listen to it and dig into it. And I like the I like the duality of that. Being like, I'm just gonna listen to this versus I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna put my headphones out, I'm gonna listen to it. You can say that you can get into it, um, but yeah, I've I've been aware of Doja actually before Moo from from the Amala album. I, uh, I I like that album, and I did think that this album was a little bit of a step down from her previous releases, but. I think it sort of has the same thing that the Lil Nas X album does where like it's in a genre all its own. And I think in previous releases, like in hot pink, she's like playing around with genre. But I think in this one, there's like a really cohesive sound to it, a very like vibey R and B, but she can also be really frenetic and drop a verse whenever she wants it again, incorporate features into the sound um, has something really singular about it. I think will make it stand out over time. Coming in at six, I do have I do have Red Taylor's version. Uh, sure. I think I think it's incredible. Uh, if only for Ten Minute All Too Well, I like really thought Ten Minute All Too Well would be a novelty song. You know, like I put it on in the car sometimes with my friends. Like, like how could you just like have a ten minute song come up on a playlist and be? And I listen to it probably once a day, just like in my which like should probably be discussed in therapy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She re-recorded an album and yet she did something new. Um, she sang something new. The From the Vault songs hit a very, a very wonderful spot. And the From the Vault songs on Fearless, on Fearless, I felt I was sort of like she's releasing a song she wrote at this age as a like what is she? She's like 30 something now. 
and it felt kind of like wonky to me whereas the from the vault songs this time around on red i felt like it makes sense that she didn't release it then, and i'm so fucking glad she released it now um and i love knowing that jake gyllenhaal didn't show up to her 21st birthday and i love the like context it gives to 22 but then at this the same with nothing new giving con- the way the vaults on the vault songs give context the rest of the album and the work in the future i so i yeah i could not i could not rave more about taylor i think this album took me from being a casual taylor listen to listener to a swifty yeah i uh i think that's a really great perspective i was never a big fan of red and this album didn't really sway me in that regard but we will get into all too well as i get into my awards for sure as you as you should at five I have Sour. I have it. I think it's a stellar album. I don't want it to win Best Album. I think she has more there. But the variety song to song, plus the narrative arc of the album, kills it for me. I think that it could be higher on this list were it not for Hope You're Okay. I have no idea what that song is about. She seems she says it's not about Joshua Bassett, though I do feel as though it was put on there late after he said he was after he came out. And she was like, I can't, I feel bad about dropping this album that just relentlessly shits on him. So I don't, I don't love that. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's weird. Like, I, I didn't think, even, I, I didn't even really know about that. That's crazy. <laughs> very underproduced. It doesn't line up with the rest of the album. Um, I'm so jealous. I have a 15 year old sister and I'm so jealous that she gets to listen to the album in high school. I'm just, I'm really envious of that. I think that it captures a lot that, like i don't know like i'm not a i'm not like a i'm a music guy in the smart sense and the like so i don't know if i think it's like a a a taste thing but i think it's chef's kiss and my last thing is the driver's license my best friend when we were 17 her boyfriend was cheating on her with a blonde girl and they broke up the week after she got her driver's license. So the accessibility, wow. the honestness of some of those songs, like really just, I'm glad it wasn't out when I was 17 though, because I would just would have been a full menace to society. That's the thing though, like it's number 50 on my list. And I think that my impression of the album is colored by the the knowledge of the Disney backing. I do think this was a like a personal statement from her in an album that she chose to make and made with people she wanted to make it with. But like that, that does color my perception. But I think from a marketing perspective, one of the things that is really brilliant about it is that it, yeah, of course it does appeal to young people, but it it really appeals to millennial kind of nostalgia. It, it, it appeals to people's nostalgia for being at that age yeah. by incorporating these pop punk influences through this really, I mean, from a songwriting perspective, the, the way that driver's license, I think, makes you feel for like how significant getting a driver's license was. Yeah, yeah I think it uh, does a really good job of, uh, again, appealing to Gen Z and appealing to uh, people who are nostalgic, who were who were teens in like the, the mid 2000s or the uh, from the late 90s to the mid 2000s uh, at the same time. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I do feel that there is an overbalance of like acoustic guitar slash piano ballads on this album that is not totally my shit but um yeah it is a great album yeah um coming in at four i got montero we talked about it it's really exciting it's a really exciting album for rap music and, and pop music um and i think it's expanding 
people who are into rap and it's like sort of just doing something very useful to the genre. I I hope that in the future Nas is able to collaborate with more uh, rappers and that he's, you know, he he does sort of straddle that line between pop and hip hop in a way that is, is unique, but I do, you know, I hope to see him. He he is a good rapper and a good writer and I hope to see him, you know, on more rap records, but also um, I also just think that like being open, uh, he's open about gay sex and gay love in a pop context that is accessible and sells in a way that nothing has before. Like it's, it's a piece of representation that really does like do something. Yeah, exactly. Um, So number three is evermore. Yeah. I think she knocked it out of the park with this one. It was the first time I listened to Taylor and felt like it was um, not like a novelty from my childhood, but like, like, good and real and and her her songwriting of course there's been plenty of debate about whether or not it is her songwriting recently enough but the lyrics are are at a new level for her it's um really up there for me and i don't know if i would have i i don't know i didn't really i did not really care about her music before like once reputation dropped i was like i'm kind of over this and was just listening to her older stuff and i listened to folklore and i feel like a lot of people like folklore a lot more than evermore i listened to it once or twice and didn't feel too strongly about it um but i think Mm. evermore brought something really new to the table um, at least for me. Yeah, that that's interesting because to me, Evermore sort of felt like a side beat of folklore. And uh, I guess that's why I never considered it much because I listen to it and it's like, this just feels more of the same. Uh, and I did like folklore a lot. Uh, for me, I feel like I didn't like a lot of the stuff on Reputation, but I liked the stuff that no one else liked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, look what you made me do and ready for it where there's stuff that I liked. Yeah, but, um, yeah. but I do feel like that was the moment where just in terms of the time that it came out and the previous album was 2014 so I was 14 but um that was the moment where I started paying attention to Taylor Swift and then Lover was really the album that like did it for me I, I'm not sure why because there's definitely stuff I don't like on that album too but that was just the album where I was like yeah I'm into this um well, good for some reason I really once me and you need to come down were released and I was like fuck this there's no way I'm listening to this album I've gotten back in I've gotten into it lately it's it's really good yeah like I the I, like you need to calm down obviously <laughs> it's not good but you know the man is still a song that like I think about all the time and you know uh fucking cruel summer and London boy like like I guess it's the most like a Carly Rae Jepsen album of the Taylor <laughs> albums and maybe that's yeah. what does it for me but like yeah, just a really a good pop album and the kind of pop album that I like. Yeah, 100%. And number two, I've Donda. I love this album um, and it grows on me every time I listen to it. The song, one of the, the what he added when he released the deluxe album, I think it really, I think it really elevated the album. Mm. Um, See, I like the additions on the deluxe album, but I hate the order. He, he fumbled the bag on the order <laughs> in general yeah no i do i do agree with you there i think he crushed it i don't know where i would rank it in terms of kanye albums and it's not my favorite for best rap album but side note i would really like it to win best album and i would really like taylor to go up and steal the mic from him please i that's think the, that's like, what we that's need the full circle moment we need it would i feel like i so that's the thing though joy. i feel like reputation era taylor would but now she would just like 
write a tweet like I can't believe this and then let her minions do it for her. But like (laughs) I just I really I like I wish I just I would love it. That would be just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I do think um I mean we talked about Tonda for two hours, so like like there's but not much more to be said about it. I guess I would say it feels like the most, I mean, I think I did say this in that episode, but it feels like the most, to me, the most like complete vision of a Kanye album since Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I it sort of feels like the culmination of this whole Trump Wyoming Jesus chapter of, uh, of Kanye, like it all of sort of. And also telling you he's still there though. Um, yeah. um, which is, I really liked Yay the album, which is controversial opinion. Um, but I, I liked it. <laughs> I will always have it like in the, the bottom half of their Kanye list. I, I, I mean, I probably, I probably would put it there just cause it doesn't feel finished to me, but like it, you yeah. know, it's good songs. It's good. It has good. It has good songs. Um, the, let's have a threesome me, you and the blunt. I love your titties. Cause they prove I can focus on two things at once. Like is. <laughs> yeah. Better lyrics, I think. Just like his his songwriting on there is like up there. Um, but I did feel, I did listening to it. I did really feel like where have we gone? Uh, like where is Con- like where is Kanye? And then Jesus King, same kind of thing. Of like it's like just like where are you? And Donda, mm-hmm. he's there, and his new Jesusy stuff is there. But it's um it's digestible because it's yeah. kind of within the it brings you back to him talking about Jesus, like on Jesus walks, whereas Jesus is King. I felt like he was shoving it down my throat. Whereas he's again, just talking about like, this is what this is for me. I could do without Jesus Lord. I could just do without all the talking sections. And I just, I, it will, it like, it could never be a no skip album for me. Cause it's very rare that I could be in the mood to just listen to um, Jesus is Lord in particular. I yeah. Think I can listen to the, I can, I can listen to the song, but not at the same time as listening to the whole album. It has to be separate. Exactly. I have to be like, Oh, Lord, I need, Lord, I need you is bound to will always be my favorite stem song, but Lord, I need mm-hmm. you is creeping its way up there. It's creeping. It's creeping its way. You've always been my favorite prom queen. Like the it, and his his lyrics are there. Um, everybody hurts, but I don't try to rentals. Like he's he's there, and he's he's different from who he was when he was making the earlier stuff. That he's there. And yeah. What was I going to say? I I have a lot of thoughts on Bound Two that I'm sure we'll get to in a future episode. But uh, yeah. The I, I guess what I'd say about Donda is the thing that I said towards the end of our episode, which you were, you know, in a hurry at that point. But Kim and fame as sort of allegories is something that he's talked about a lot in the past couple albums, really since I think uh, since he started dating Kim, whenever that was. <laughs> but I think that um, it, it, my my impression of this assessment of this album is that like Donda is sort of his relationship to his mother and his relationship with God are sort of an allegory and this album is about sort of reckoning with the fact that he loves both yeah and i think his his feelings about donda have always been underlying in all of his music and then he finally comes out and says all of it um and i said this i said this when we talked about donda but my only qualm is that he had hurricane for too long and i think he really he did too much of it yeah i i didn't like any of those yandy snippets and i feel like the like yeah he should have released yandy that's my that's my only thing with it, and I hope maybe one day he'll release Yandi. Kind of, sort of, is like a, like Wayne is done with sorry for the wait, like kind of just like bringing it out of the, the background. And number one, I have Call Me If You Get Lost. Oh sure, I love everything about it. I 
I think Tyler is so cool. I think Tyler is such a cool artist to look at. I think, like, talk about, like, just talk about, like, coming out as gay, like, changing your music. And I like, I really enjoy Flower Boy, Boy, and I really enjoy Igor. Call Me If You Got Lost came back to his kind of, his, like, hard rap that he had going on in Goblin early like he had it there he got so soft in the in the, i mean i guess Eeyore is a different question but call me if you get lost he he has those songs that are just like absolute bangers and evocative of what i think of when i think about like listening to rap music of just like being in my mm-hmm. car with the bass turned up and the car's like shaking from it's a great feeling and then he also there's so, like such a clear story going on there's an arc and it's and it's and it's rich and it's it's doing something and i'm going to the concert in March so I'm gonna and I'm gonna get to hear him say like Madison Square sellout like while I'm in the sold out Madison Square Garden and that is beautiful to me wow. um, I die for Tyler I die I die for Tyler Crater. if the world stays the way it is right now I highly doubt I'm gonna get to go um which is so sad because it's also gonna be my sister's first concert imagine having your first concert be Tyler the Crater at MSG my first concert was yeah. Mac War. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my brother's first concert was the like Eminem and Jay Z tour from like 2010, and that's a that's a cool one. Mine was my first big concert was the Weekend. Um, really, the only like huge concert I've been to, but it was with like Belly and Ray Shremmerd and Black, and that was you know it was it was a really good show. The coolest part about it was that Ray Shremmerd did their whole set, and then the Weekend came out and did you know a bunch of songs, and then Ray Shremmerd came back out to do Black Beatles, and it was nuts. That's awesome. Yeah, so I love, I love coming to get lost. And it's one of the few I like, I have a hard time reading like super analytic articles about rap, about rap. There's like so many, but there's um, mm-hmm. some article someone, someone wrote and it's very long just pulling apart call me feel lost and it's been one of my favorite reads of the last like year and a half you know just speaking to that there's something seriously rich there sure i uh, would we'll, we'll love to see that um i do probably overall it's number 27 on my left side album i do probably feel overall that it's a step down from elor and flower boy which are such like year-defining, decade-defining, career-defining albums, but um, something that I've noticed in returning to Call Me If You Get Lost is that, like, every song kind of has a narrative to it, and, you know, there's the great, it doesn't have as much of an album narrative as I think the previous ones do, but, like, like, what's your name, the way that it sort of exists in this space as like you're sort of, you know, the sort of love at first sight thing, the sort of, like, you know, deciding to deciding to pursue someone and the the feeling that's just like the only thing that matters in that moment and he doesn't even learn the girl's name corso the way that it starts out is like a as as like a really you know braggadocio uh gangster girls track and then i love the concept of like the gangster girls album with the luxury you know tyler sounds on top of it i feel like that comes together nicely but the fact that that song sort of starts out that way and then sort of becomes more of a narrative as you realize there's more of a narrative going on as the song goes along yeah i just like the fact that yeah. every song kind of has a narrative in and of itself yeah and the narrative the narrative the songs the narrative of the album creeps up on you it doesn't have to be there if you don't want it to be there but it can be there if you want a lot of like what i was saying about doja i think of like there can be something much deeper to the album while there can also just kind of be listening to it so as we already went through album of the year and how my winner is ali and aj uh going through the rest of my list here uh, a few miscellaneous categories where there wasn't really enough for me to have nominees, but I just want to throw some extra awards out here. 
Best Film Score, Dune, Hans Zimmer. Best Punk Album, Welfare Jazz by Viagra Boys. Best Avant-Garde Album, Sinner Get Ready by Lingua Ignota. Best Jazz Album, Black Encyclopedia of the Air by More Mother. Best Country Album, In These Silent Days by Brandy Carlisle. Best Ska Album, Ska Dream by Jeff Rosenstock. And Best R&B Album, 333 by Tinashe. Yeah. And that takes us into the categories. In Best Music Video, five nominees in each category. My nominees are All Too Well, the short film for um, Taylor Swift. Uh, Body of Water by Tierra Wack. Uh, Fallen Fruit by Lord, Montero, Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X, and Thought Shit by Megan The Stallion. <laughs> uh, just going through the nominees before I get to the winner, the, the All Too Well short film obviously is, you know, really strong, really striking, portrays the relationship in such an intimate way, and um, it has, has a really complete narrative to it. Let's see. Body of Water is a great video. More great shit from Tierra Wack about like people turning into dolphins, and uh, <laughs> I might might resonate with me more than anything else over time. But uh, yeah, Fallen Fruit by Lord. I liked a lot of the visuals from this album uh, and the Fallen Fruit. This like you know a lot of the videos just like like like, like her sort of walking through these various uh, scenarios, and I feel like it really like takes the imagery from that song, which is so striking, and the sound of that song, which is so striking, and sort of adds visual component to it in a way that you know this idea of the prophet and this apocalyptic future and these perfect places that are explored throughout i mean perfect places is a melodrama song but you know there are these these utopias that are explored throughout the album that um i think it really comes together in fallen fruit i almost put solar power in this category which is also a great video but uh ended up being fallen fruit and then yeah, Montero is uh, obviously a really striking and I think really iconic video, a video that is going to stand up over time and is probably going to win every music video award out there, including the Grammy, but I'm giving it to Thought Shit. <laughs> I love this whole narrative. I mean, Thought Shit is a great song, but I, I just love the whole narrative of the video with like the senator who, you know, is sort of complaining about WAP and then is just being tortured by Megan for the rest of the thing. The the thing of him getting hit by a truck that Megan is driving right at the beginning. It's just so good. It's so funny. Such a great video. Uh, Something I'm definitely never going to forget. Yeah. In the rock song category, my nominees are Hardline by Julian Baker, I Am Not a Woman, I'm a God by Halsey, Like I Used to by Angel Olsen and Sharon Van Etten, Numb by Waterparks, and Transparent Soul by Willow and Travis Barker. I have not picked winners for, the, uh, for any of these categories. I'm picking them live here. Uh, in this category, I feel like I, I already talked about Halsey and, and her record a little bit. Uh, I'm Not a Woman, I'm a God is definitely the highlight of that record for me. Really great song, just something that, you know, I'm, I'm, is always going to have a special place in my heart. Just, I, I, again, talking about, like, her having a particular relationship to womanhood and something that I relate to, definitely. But, yeah, um, Like I Used To by Angel Olsen and Sharon Van Etten is such a 
striking really good like heartland rock kind of song also numb by water parks i've been into water parks for a couple years but i i feel like the way that they've incorporated hyper pop into this most recent record really works for them because for the for i think for like half a decade now they've been sort of peddling themselves as like the new vanguard of pop punk and like this you know the big pop punk act and for a couple years it was like there was nothing else going on in pop punk and that seed was kind of was kind of dead so like as pop punk has had such a revival this year and that ties into the willow song it's like the fact that water parks pivoted in this direction is is you know really fun it, it feels like it's sort of you know they're like pop sensibilities which i think for some pop punk acts in the past if you look at like sr 71 so like pop punk acts that are a little too polished a little too pop um kind of tend to get get like left off but i feel like it really works for water parks incorporating these hyper pop elements and numb is a, a really fun song definitely one of the, my most listened to songs of the year and transparent soul by willow so i mean willow has been making great music for a really long time but i feel like she did really have this breakout as she moved away from like these indie rock aesthetics that she was doing up to this point into more of a grunge pop punk sound with this album and really coming at the at the forefront of that movement this pop punk revival that's everywhere right now Maybe I'm not in a state to pick a winner right now, but I feel like I'm going to give this one to Willow for now. Yeah. Yeah. With, with Halsey and the Angel Olsen songs, both um, being close runners up there. Yeah, it's a, it's a close category. In the rock album category, my nominees are Flux by Poppy. If I can't have love, I want power by Halsey. Lately, I Feel Everything by Willow, Pressure Machine by The Killers, and Smiling With No Teeth by Genesis Owusu. Uh, obviously, the, the Genesis Owusu thing, I had trouble, I, obviously, I had trouble figuring out which category to, to put him in. I ended up putting him in rock just because I do think that is, sort of, like, if you look at the overall sound of the album, the band that he's playing with, and, you know, I do feel like rock is sort of the, in, in the same way with Gorillaz, where with a lot of their albums, you probably put them into rock, even though they have all that other stuff going on. Poppy's album was really good. I liked her metal turn and I liked the idea of her, you know, dropping Titanic Sinclair and going metal and just going all out with it. But I feel like this, you know, sort of 90s and like garbagey, you know, grungy uh, rock sound really does more for me and is more in line with the kind of stuff that I like. And I feel like she does it really well. It doesn't feel it's her most personal album and her previous stuff I have liked a lot, but has felt sort of like she's playing with genre more so than uh, revealing as much about herself. And I feel like she really, you know, bears herself on this record in addition to sort of calling to the history of women, influential women in, in rock music. Already talked about Halsey, the Willow album kind of already talked about just a, you know, a really striking turn for her. A comeback, even though she's still been around and a pivot, even though she's been making kind of indie rock stuff for years. But yeah, just uh in terms of the pop punk revival that's occurred this year i feel like it's you know you've got to put that on top and then the killers album pressure machine is just you know i've always loved the killers i've loved the killers new stuff i've loved this sort of springsteen direction they've been going in on the last couple albums and i feel like relative to like the sort of genre play this you know they're doing blondie and they're doing um talking heads kind of on on uh what's that album called imploding the mirage it was like number five on my list last year i i like that they went more intimate with this record and uh you know obviously it's exploring stories from 
uh, Brandon Flowers' hometown in Utah. And, you know, that this like doing this Springsteen Heartland rock thing while exploring those stories and having that concept album thing going on, I think is really striking and well done. Uh, there's a Phoebe Bridgers feature on this album too, which is also really good. But um, I think what what really makes it work is that it's a Utah album, but it doesn't lose the like Vegas element yeah. of the killers. Yeah, you just like yeah. there's a lot of showmanship in it and a lot of, you know, just just really big and bold sounds. And so yeah, I think the the crossover there is really nice. Yeah. And my winner in that category gotta be Halsey. <laughs> Yeah. No, I th- I I would totally agree with that. In the electronic song category, the best dance slash electronic song, my nominees are American Girl by Kilo Kish, The Aronofsky Method by Macy Rodman, Me 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 by 100 Gex, Pay for Haiti by Kitranata and Makami, and Violin by Cookie Kawaii and Dear Silas. I did kind of talk about The Aronofsky Method uh, when we were doing the album stuff. Me, 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 100 Gex, first single off their forthcoming uh, second album. And, you know, they've obviously become sort of the vanguard of this Piper Pop movement in the time since their last album. And so I feel like this is like a thing to come back with that is, you know, doing the ska thing and doing this, you know, a more accessible sound than a lot of the stuff on 1000 yeah. Gex, but like still very fun, still very in line with uh, with with everything they've done. I think it's a, a really effective track. Uh, and Pay for Haiti is great. Just, you know, Makami has had a really big year, but I feel like over a Tronada beat, it's such an interesting sort of sound to pair him with as one of these sort of, you know, these rappers who is known for doing uh, this this old school sample stuff and these really like head, heady verses to sort of have like a dance beat compared with that and contrasted with that. I think it's uh, really well done. Um, but I do think my winner at this moment is going to be American Girl by Kilo Kish. Uh, I've always been a huge Kilo Kish fan and I was obsessed with this song for, for uh, quite a while. It's phenomenal. Yeah. In the electronic album category, my nominees are Cake Pop 2 by Cake Pop, Harl Core by Danielle Harl, which I already talked about, Unbelievable Animals by Macy Rodman, which I already talked about, Unlimited Ammo by Namasenda, and Venice by Cookie Kawaii. You, you know, Cookie Kawaii obviously had uh, the If I Back It Up song, which was a big, you know, TikTok hit. Uh, in 2020 mostly uh, but you know still still around kind of but like yes sort of introducing that Jersey Club to a broader audience I think what she does really well on that album is sort of like just portraying the range of what that sound can do and the sort of you know expressing that genre in terms of like disco and violin sort of incorporates classical elements and yeah just I think a, a really expansive piece that's also like she's a great rapper she's a great performer she's someone with a lot of star power also coming off of that uh debut so yeah, yeah. and unlimited ammo from Namasenda, also a debut she's the latest pc music artist a swedish singer and um i think she works in this in this hyper pop sound really well she's bringing so, sort of using the aesthetics of shooter games there's you know banana clip and shots fired and black ops 2 is the name of a song on this album like and of course unlimited ammo is the title of the album and i feel like you know just like I feel like that that video game sort of energy sort of correlates with uh, hyper pop nicely, but like Absolutely. also she's just a really effective songwriter and she really like brings the whole thing together really nicely. A great voice too. Yeah, 
and yeah, Cake Pop is Dylan Brady is I, I feel like the, you know, it's obviously a super group that's kind of together on that album. But I feel like Dylan Brady as a producer is really the the core of that. And he's so effective in everything that he does. Uh, yeah, another great hyper pop album. But I think that my winner in this moment is going to be. Yeah, I guess I'll give it to, to Daniel Harrell for now. And I take this into the hip hop categories, which uh, maybe you'll have a little more to say on. My nominees for best hip hop song are Family Ties by Baby Keem and Kendrick Lamar, Gang Signs by Freddie Gibbs and Schoolboy Q, Life of the Party by Ye and Andre 3000, Seeing Green by Nicki Minaj, Drake, and Lil Wayne, and Thought Shit by Megan Thee Stallion. Yeah, yeah. That's about what I would say. I think Family Ties is really fun. Um, I, I really appreciate the collab. I love Kendrick. I love seeing Kendrick doing stuff. Yeah, I think it's a very, I think it's a cool song. I think it's a very fun song. What I'd say about uh, Family Ties is, first of all, I feel like in the for, in 2019 and 2020, Kendrick released two verses. I feel like, you know, in terms of like, like those are both great verses, but I feel like in terms of a combat verse, this is exactly what you want to do. Where first yeah. of all, first of all, the, you know, duck in the pandemic, duck in the social gimmicks, the overnight activists. Yeah. The, the, the great, great stuff going on there, but also just like, first of all, doing the visuals and being involved as much as he was in this song, but also just coming right out of the gate. I am the Omega, like on a completely different level from everyone else. This this was the right energy to have on a, on yeah. a comeback single. Yeah. And I just, I like him. I like him and Baby Keem together. Yeah. And, and Keem, I think really held his own on that track too. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I didn't expect Keem to be very good and I was utter, like utterly surprised um, and, and keep past that i have uh gang signs by freddie gibbs and schoolboy q which uh was their their earliest song that made it out of that five came out in february and just um mm-hmm. I, I mean it's got a great hook and there's something really unique about the way that i think it incorporates the its sample and does this sort of soulful has this soulful kind of 70s r&b sound that sort of yeah. is contrasted with these really grimy uh sort of lyrics that Freddie and Schoolboy trade off. Yeah, a song that's definitely stuck with me throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Schoolboy too, and uh, wasn't so familiar with Freddie, but this made me want to listen to more. Uh, no, I think, and I think Grime is the exact right word. I, like, and that that contrast and yeah, blend is is very fun to listen to. Life of the Party, Yay and Andre Three Thousand. Uh, in terms of like what. Yay songs to put on this list. I was thinking about the songs on Donna that really are hip hop and uh, Praise God was the other one I was really considering for this one. But I think Life of the Party was such a moment. I mean, obviously, whenever you get three sex on a track, it's going to be incredible. And his verse is so emotional and and sort of like vulnerable just uh you know i mean every verse he drops is incredible but this is no exception and yeah i I definitely prefer the leaked version in terms of the yay going after drake verse i think the verse that he ends up putting on this record is uh middling but you know it's really emotional and the the, the the way that Andre is like speaking to Donda and there's so much stuff on Donda that's about like you know where the features are like rappers relationships with religion and their relationships with uh with God uh but I feel like Andre talking about his mother on this track is 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 so effective and talking about in in this spiritual sense uh yeah it's really striking yeah 
absolutely really like like lengthens the the god donda motifs in the whole album um mm-hmm. and it's one of his it's one of his more raw songs on the album and especially between him and the the featured artists like there's a there's an intimacy and a rawness that's being shared between kanye and on um andre 3000 that is very uh cool to me i already talked about that shit uh which is just a really fun a really fun song it's interesting how like a lot of megan's songs are very like sex focused and this one you sort of expect it to be and then it like takes you by surprise by sort of just being about all these all these like personal vendettas that she has and just sort of like <laughs> just, just sort of like take it down everyone that she has beef with yeah no it's true it's um i mean i love megan and the last one is Seeing Green by Nikki, Drake, and Lil Wayne, a bonus track on the streaming edition of Be Me Up Scotty. You know, it's always a great thing when when those three <laughs> get on a track together. You know, not all of them are great, but like a lot of them are great. And and just th- that that trifecta was such a moment in pop culture that, you know, whenever they get together, three really capable rappers from these really different kind of uh circles of rap who are i would say that nikki and wayne are sort of on a different level from drake but that's just sort of my personal opinion but i i I think on this song they they all deliver definitely the wayne verse you know it starts out kind of it starts out with wayne and it starts out kind of slow but then the stuff that he builds into i've loved everything wayne's done this year for the most part uh and in the past couple of years i've been i've been really into wayne's recent stuff and just like the the, the energy that he brings to his verses lately um i think he definitely delivers on this one and then the nikki verse is great the drake verse is great just uh in terms of the three of their collaborations i think this uh could be my favorite yeah i agree i totally agree i think my my favorite of wayne nikki and drake is uh only sure only <laughs> <Sure. laughs> um, i but i think i think way to nikki get drake to a good place together um, Absolutely. i think at this moment and you know obviously everything's subject to change but at this moment i think my winner is going to be family ties yeah yeah i think for me it would be family ties or um thought shit but i think family ties has an edge in the hip-hop album category I've been I've an interesting little five here. My nominees are Haram by Armin Hammer and the Alchemist. Hitler Wears Hermes 8 by West Side Gun. I'm including, I, I, only, I ended up doing side B on my album of the year list, but for this one, I'm counting both sides as one album because, I mean, just what a what a thing to put out. Uh, Melodic Blue by Baby Keem. Shut the Fuck Up Talking to Me by Zach Fox. Sometimes I Might Be Introvert by Little Sims. Already talked about those last three. All strong choices. I mean the the Arm and Hammer album with Alchemist. Uh, just you know, I've I've known of Arm and Hammer and known that Billy Woods and Elucid were these really good rappers for a couple years at least. But I, you know, this was the moment over this Alchemist production is really where I started to be struck by their their lyricism and the way that they work over these beats this was one of the many albums that earl sweatshirt did a feature on this year uh and and you know his feature on there is great and i i always love to hear him but i think that uh yeah just alchemist did this and then did like two boldy james albums this year which i also thought were good but like the you know there's something about the way that he exercises his kind of old school sampley 90s style with the the arm and hammer sort of like off kilter you know these unique like uh flow and rhyme constructions that they do i feel like it you know comes together really strongly yeah and Hitler Wears Hermes 8 is just such a 
to I, I mean, West Side Gun ha- had a really great year. It's had a really great couple of years, but just, you know, to put out something of that magnitude, to put out like a, a, a two-side album where each side is 20 tracks and they both have like, you know, Wayne's on there, Tyler's on there, AZ is on there, and obviously this big roster of, of like Griselda and Griselda-associated acts is on there as well. I feel like as a closing to this series that West Side Gun did, it's really... Uh, striking and well done. There's so many, I, I, I mean, so many great songs on there, but I feel like it elevates themso- itself above. Obviously, so many Griselda releases have come out in the last couple of years. I feel like this really stands out because it's just so maximal. You know, I, it being the conclusion to the series, I think is a big part of it, but also just like the production is so high level. The, um, you know, what, what Gunn is doing with his voice and with his verses is so high level. And then obviously there's so many great features littered throughout. I mean, a couple more that have come to mind, Two Chains and Sauce Walker and just a, a crazy assortment of artists, I think, really come together. Yeah, no, I think I, the length and the amount of collaboration going on is admirable. At this moment, I am going to give it to Little Sims. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and a, a great category, a great uh a pretty good year for hip hop, I think. Yes, absolutely. The pop song category, which I also think we'll have a little more to uh, discuss uh, in this one. All Too Well 10 Minute Version by Taylor Swift. Brutal by Olivia Rodrigo. Don't Need Nothing by Ali and AJ. Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X. And Silk Chiffon by MUNA and Phoebe Bridgers. Yep. Going through them here, uh, All Too Well, the 10-minute version, I think is such a... I, I think every couple of years, Taylor Swift will do something that just sort of reminds you that she's like one of the great living pop songwriters. Yeah. And I feel like I, I feel like All Too Well might be, in terms of an artistic achievement, like the pinnacle for her up to this point. Just, you know, I mean, the fact that I think I can think of a lot of like super long songs in just like jazz and, you know, uh, experimental genres that I that I love. But the fact that this is 10 minutes long and so listenable and so emotionally affecting, but also I- enjoyable as this song is like it, it, it's a really it's really a feat that, that it's able to work as well as it does. And yeah, like you were saying. I can listen to this song anytime. It's like I said, I love a lot of 10 minute songs, but this is pretty much the only one that I could just pull up whenever and just spend 10 minutes on it. Yeah. I like it, That's exactly my thoughts. Exactly. Um, for me, it's just that it, it really keeps you there for the full 10 minutes. Um, Absolutely. That's very cool to me. And the added, the verses she added, add a lot to it. Let's see here. Um, for Silk Chiffon, I don't have too much to say, but it's just like a, it's it, it sort of I feel like went under the radar uh, just in the in the middle of the year in the late summer mm-hmm. but I think you know a, a really perfectly made pop song uh, from MUNA and Phoebe Bridgers I haven't liked everything Phoebe Bridgers has put out but I, I this the, this was one of the the songs of hers that did it for me the most just um, because I have this appreciation for pop music and you know I, I love MUNA I love the way they work off of each other and the you know the way that songwriting is sort of infused with the like structure, structural things that it has going on. Yeah. It's just a, a really well-made song, I guess. Um, and don't need nothing is a highlight for me from a touch of the beat. It's I guess the title track technically. Um, and yeah, just a really, 
same stuff I had to say about the album is just sort of imbued in this song, the way that it incorporates the soft rock elements, these disco elements, these, you know, it, it does something really unique with this, this beachy sound and um, yeah, a really uh, mature and emotionally resonant uh, pop song. Yeah. Call Me By Your Name, Lil Nas X, probably my favorite song on that album, which I guess uh, is a hot take to some, but a perfect pop song so so well written such a great hook and i feel like from again from a marketing perspective just the way that he was teasing that song for like a year and a half before he put it out (laughs) just i remember when he did there he had a commercial in last year's super bowl that used that song when like you know months before it came out i was so frustrated but like yeah it fully delivered no he worked hard on it and it's exactly what you want from a pop song and then Brutal by Olivia Rodrigo, uh, my my choice from Sour. Uh, in my best hit songs of the year list, I picked uh, Deja Vu as my top. I, I put I put like the three big ones on. Well, not good for you, but uh, Brutal and um, uh, Driver's License also on there. But yeah. in that list, I put Deja Vu on top just because it felt like the most Olivia Rodrigo of, of them where the pop-pop yeah. stuff is like kind of a costume. But I feel like... Brutal is so, I mean, it's such a burst of energy, but also just like the lyrics, I think are the most striking on this song. The, you know, who am I if not exploited? The, you know, I'm so insecure. I think that I might die before I drink. Just like a really, you know, as uh, it's the first song on the album and it really is just this explosion of like teen angst and the additional sort of um, pressures of being a Disney star just, you know, feels so personal and so striking and is just like an incredible statement of intent for, yeah, for yeah. Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, and I think it's very cool and impressive how she mixes the pressure of fame and the former Disney star stuff in with very mundane, um, like teenage angst, who am I if not exploited being a Disney star with like, I'm not cool and I'm not smart and I can't even parallel part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right like making it accessible while talking about the the unique things that she's going through like as an ex-disney star and i also think that parallel parking the theme has a really cool connection with driver's license um that that's that sort of that um through line i failed my driver's test because of parallel parking so maybe it's a yeah. little bit for me but i i dig that so yeah, I, I, a really strong category for this one, I think, but I am yeah. going to give it to All Too Well. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be All Too Well for me. It's hard to not pick Call Me By Your Name, but... Yeah. I mean, All Too Well also does something that I just don't think pop songs have done. Um, yeah. I don't know what exactly... I mean, obviously there's the fact that it's 10 minutes long, but yeah, it's just, it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant song. Yeah. It, it melds being like a sweet and a pop song in a way that I think has been very... has not on this level been done before. Yeah, exactly. In the pop album category, my nominees are A Touch of the Beat, Ali and AJ, yep. Happier Than Ever, Billie Eilish, Montero, Lil Nas X, mm-hmm. Pink Noise, Laura Mvula, and Sour, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Uh, I already talked about most of these albums. Billie Eilish is the only uh, extra one on here. Obviously, because um, When We All Fall Asleep was such a striking debut, I feel like this album was was a, a quote-unquote disappointment to many. Didn't do the numbers that the last one did. Wasn't as much of a 
world bending statement that uh, that uh, when we all fall asleep was. But I feel like yeah. they're, they're, I, I love a lot of the genre played moments on this album. I've thought about Billy Bossa Nova so much <laughs> since that album came out and yeah. um, Oxytocin, um, Therefore I Am, which was I think the first single is like maybe my favorite Billie Eilish song. Uh, it and it is more accessible than than any other stuff on When We All Fall Asleep, but I think it, it really captures the thing with When We All Fall Asleep was that it's like Billy is doing this like voice of a generation thing in this like really teenagers are scary way <laughs> that was unique. And I think on this album, she's sort of expanding her sound outward, obviously doing this great burst of, you know, on, on the title track, just this crazy. I th- th- That song is incredible to me, but um also, there are these really intimate moments like your power where she does, you know, find that power in silence and in this the, this quiet thing that she does, but just in a in a completely different way from what she's done before. And yeah, you know, a, a, a great expansion of the Billie Eilish sort of sound, I think. Totally. I've never been a huge Billie fan. This album intrigued me, though. It made mm-hmm. me kind of want to listen to more. So, yeah. Sure. You know, given that I gave album of the year to Elliot AJ, I am going to give this one to Lil Nas X. Yeah. <laughs> just to just to have something there. I think it would be sour for me, honestly. Um, Montero's up there. The Elliot AJ is up there, but I think it would come out as sour. Sure. Debut album. My nominees are Juno by Remy Wolf. Yeah. The Melodic Blue by Baby Keem. Montero by Lil Nas X. Smiling with No Teeth by Genesis Owusu. And Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. So the only one I haven't talked about is the Remy Wolf album, which is one that like, it took me a while to warm up to Remy Wolf, I think. And it wasn't really until I was doing the album of the year list. I was like, oh, this is really good. But like, I think she's doing, you know, she is kind of doing like a modern pop thing in terms of like the, this is sort of this DIY element and these really like vulnerable and personal songs that are also sort of playing around with genre and sort of like, like it's a TikTok era pop album, but it's also... I think doing something really unique and classic and how it incorporates funk elements and, you know, rather than going in a hyper pop drum and bass, you know, really high energy direction. It's like this, this really smooth kind of ride that that I think is so interesting and so unique Uh, on like the second song on this album, she compares herself to the red hot chili peppers. And I think that is um, an interesting comparison there, but she's also kind of, I, I, I think in my article, I called her the Jamiroquai of sleigh bells's where like just you know she's obviously you know incorporating these funk elements but she's just bringing something really volatile and unpredictable to pop in a way that you know lyrically is reminiscent of the red hot chili peppers but i also just think it's so uh unique and just like the the way she's playing with sound and the way she's playing with structure and you know a lot of really capable production and hook stuff going on but also just like really experimental while being a really you know an album you can get down with yeah so in that category i think i'm gonna give it to genesis wusu who i already talked about how um you know how how struck i was by that debut but obviously you know you could argue that lil nas x and olivia rodrigo were the two stars of the year like just separate from their being their debut albums just like the biggest stars of the year so this is a a really solid category also yeah i'd go juno i think really i really liked that album i think she in, leans into this this era of tiktok pop music as you were saying while maintaining sort of a person a personal sound and not pandering and i really i really enjoyed it i thought it was a very cool album to listen to 
Absolutely. It's number like 12, I think on my, on my list. Yeah. Number 12. Rightfully. In the artist of the year category, going back to what I was saying just now, my nominees are Lil Nas X, Olivia Rodrigo, The Weeknd, West Side Gun, and Willow. Yeah. For me, it's just like, like I was saying before, I think that Lil Nas X and Olivia Rodrigo made such an impression with their debuts. They really were the stars of the year. They had hit after hit after hit. And, you know, the same way, this is not something that you could probably go back very far, but last year, Dua Lipa and The Weeknd were very much like the two big pop stars of the year. And this year, that was Lil Nas X and Olivia Rodrigo, who we've talked to death by this point. The Weeknd also, even though he didn't put out that much, obviously he put out an album at the very beginning of 2022 which is the year we're currently in but um first of all this was the 2021 was the year that blinding lights was crowned the new biggest song of all time by billboard the year that he collaborated with swedish house mafia put out take my breath had the ariana grande remix of save your tears be a huge hit just you know settling you know last year he was huge but he was sort of going under the radar because of the pandemic this year was really setting his flag in i'm the biggest star in the world yeah no he's really like making a name for himself and taking that star position and willow i already talked about just in terms of the pop punk revival this year i think she was really at the forefront of that whole scene and such a such an evocative voice such a you know powerful voice and Uh, A great songwriter, too, just doing something really personal and unique in an era where I think a lot of people are sort of incorporating pop punk elements in a more shallow way. Like it it feels very personal for her. Yeah, totally. And uh, West Side Gun. Obviously, I was talking about how the Griselda guys have had a good couple of years, but I think between the features on Donda, on the IDK album, and a, a couple other notable features this year, and just like the, the sheer magnitude of this of this Hitler Wars Hermes 8 project, just, yeah, that being the end of that series, I feel like he was really someone, a consistent presence in hip hop this year, and someone who, I think he had a standout verse from Donda, and I didn't really feel that way at the time, but just like, I, I still think about how he started that verse saying 100 round drum didn't jam when my shooters tried to spray it, thank God, in an album about, you know, about people's connections to God where everyone's like talking about, you know, friends they've lost and their and their history for him to sort of be approaching it from that angle. I think yeah. so, so funny and so unique, just a, a really unique voice who I did not lose sight of all year. Yeah, totally. So I think I'm going to give Artist of the Year to Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's her alone last nice for me, but she's like come into existence almost as as an artist and as a star this year. Um whereas Lone Lost Ice has had this like full build going on. Um Yeah. But- Especially with how huge Old Town Road was, you know, like I think he had exactly. such a striking come out this year. But yeah. Yeah, that was his um that was Old Town Road. That was when he was really this phenomenon that Olivia Rodrigo has become. Yeah. And the same way I would say the weekend last year in 2020 and probably this year in 2022 also um, is probably like a a, a more significant presence. I feel like 2021 was the year where he solidified himself, but he also didn't do as much. Absolutely. Yeah. So that takes us into song of the year. And this is my final category since we already did album of the year. My nominees, most of which I've already talked about, one I haven't, are all too well 10 minute version Taylor Swift. American Girl, Kilo Quiche. Yeah. I'm Not a Woman, I'm a God, Halsey. Yep. Montero, Lil Nas X, Call Me By Your Name. And uh, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic, which is the one I haven't talked about yet. Just incredible. 
Well, I yeah. mean, like, I was talking about how high level on the south side, like, like what we come to expect from Bruno Mars is, and just like the production and the vocals and the lyrics and the like the sense of humor that it has and the way that they play off of each other. Everything is just perfectly in balance, I feel like. Yeah, it's a great song. Like it's just it's just a great fucking song. So which one am I gonna give it to? Yeah, I feel it's, like it's between it's between All Too Well and Call Me By Your Name. For yeah, me. that's where it is for me. For some reason, even though I they were both up for pop song and I gave it to All Too Well, for some reason in the song of the year thing, I'm feeling like Call Me By Your Name. There's something about Call Me By Your Name that feels like it is the song of the year in a way that it is more than just in the world of music, but it, it is the song of the year in terms of like, if I'm thinking 2021, Call Me By Your Name is associated, like... Exactly. I've, I've talked a, a lot about like at the end of the 2010s, I had a lot of conversations about what the defining song of the 2010s was, the way that like Smells Like Teen Spirit is the defining song of the 90s or um, or uh, Staying Alive is the defining song of the 70s, like what that would be for the 10s uh, and maybe maybe in the club is for the 2000s. But I think that, you know, in terms of like what's like, like looking back on the year, if you're going to pick one song that's like this is 2021, it's going to be Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, and I think like as good as All Too Well is, and as different it is as it is from the original All Too Well, it can't reach that level of like this is the 2021 song because she because it was already released. So like I have yeah. that association with All Too Well in 2021, but it is also the like accumulation of All Too like All Too Well throughout however long the original since the original one came out. And I think the reassessment of Red and of All Too Well is sort of part of the narrative of that song, just in like, because when Red came out, it got pretty good reviews and there were people who didn't like it. And um, Red sort of had this uh, reevaluation, especially as people were, again, looking re- looking back on the tens of the decade where they were like, actually, I think Red is the best Taylor album. And, you know, this, you know, sort of the, the this great moment for her. And a lot of that was around All Too Well. Again, I don't think Red is that great an album, but that's what a lot of people said. Um, and I feel like All Too Well was really part of that narrative. And so, yeah, like you were saying with the 10 yeah. minute version, it's sort of, you can only think of it within that narrative. And of course it was. And all, yeah, exactly. And All Too Well's context kind of comes with it coming out of the album kind of as a dark horse. Like, I think Taylor talks a lot about not expecting it to be as big of a song as it was. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the meaning of 10 and L2L comes along with the fans' obsession with it. The, like, narrative of Taylor that exists far beyond this year. Those are the Pulpy Music Awards of 2021. I feel like we really thoroughly covered almost everything major in in popular music this year. And uh, I'm so glad you could join me for it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. For those of you who'd followed us through this <laughs> through this uh, drunken kind of journey we've been on, uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, you can support it by subscribing to my Substack, or you can just share it with your friends. It's one of the best things you can do. Let people know you like the show, and um, I will see you next week. Yeah. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.